You can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who is your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral, a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism, taking a look at society, media, and politics. You can follow You Can't Be Neutral on Twitter at YCBNeutral. You can find back episodes and you can find some links, a link to send me a message or some links to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. You'll find all of that at youcan'tbeneutral.com. First up is a piece published at truthout.org. This is written by Dar Jamail. And this was published a few years ago. This was published April 22, 2018. Pollution ravages our planet, oozing inhabitability via air, soil, water, and weather. Lawyer David Buckle wrote in the email sent to the New York Times just before he performed an act of self-immolation at a park in Brooklyn recently. Most humans on the planet now breathe air made unhealthy by fossil fuels, and many die early deaths as a result. My early death by fossil fuel reflects what we are doing to ourselves. Nationally known for his brilliant work championing gay rights, Buckle had been distressed by what was happening to the planet for years, was also heavily involved in environmental causes. In his suicide note to the Times, Buckle discussed how challenging it was to change things for the better in the world even with so many people working so strenuously to do so, and mentioned how donating to organizations was not enough. Deciding to bring his life to an end by using fossil fuels for self-immolation to make his point, Buckle's last note read, Honorable purpose in life invites honorable purpose in death. To the average person who understands anthropogenic climate disruption, ACD, Buckle's act might seem extreme. It is extreme. But within the context of how truly far along the planet already is, for example, for years now, Earth has been seeing 150 to 200 species go extinct every single day, and half of all the planet's marine life has been lost since just 1970. It becomes less so. The rate of underwater melting around the Antarctic is doubling every 20 years and is on a pace that will see it soon eclipse melting in Greenland to become the single largest source of sea level rise on Earth. According to a recently published study in Nature Geoscience, this amount of subsea melting of the ice continent is far greater than what was previously known, and the ice there is retreating at a rate of five times the historical average. This is raising fears of the specter of a worst-case sea level rise of around 10 feet by 2100. 
This is one reason why, after another deadly cyclone struck the island group this month, Fijian Prime Minister Frank Benamarama said that ACD is now bringing almost constant extreme weather and is literally a threat to the survival of the island nation. Benamarama told the BBC that his country had entered a frightening new era of extreme weather that needed to be confronted. Things are progressing so fast now with ACD impacts that more than one scientist I've been talking with over the years has shifted from being vehemently anti-geoengineering to either giving it renewed attention or even outright supporting it. This is, to me, deeply troubling. Scientists in several developing countries are now actively studying ways to dim sunshine and slow planetary warming via man-made chemical sunshade, as they see this as less risky than unchecked increases in global temperatures in the absence of global climate action. Reuters reported that 12 scholars from countries including China, Thailand, Brazil, Bangladesh, India, Ethiopia, published an article in the journal Nature recently, stating that since the poor are the most vulnerable to ACD, quote, developing countries must lead on solar geoengineering research. The technique is controversial and rightly so, the scholars wrote of the technique, which involves spraying clouds with reflective sulfur particles high in the atmosphere. It is too early to know what its effects would be. It could be very helpful or very harmful, they wrote. The same article cited a panel of UN climate experts who called solar geoengineering economically, socially, and institutionally infeasible. At the current trajectory of emissions and global growth, Earth is on course to see a minimum warming of 3 degrees Celsius, or far more above pre-industrial temperatures by 2100, and the goal of keeping temperature increases well below the 2 degrees Celsius as per the 2015 Paris Agreement among nearly 200 countries currently looks unfeasible. While self-immolation and geoengineering are extreme, this month's survey of the planet provides the context within which these radical phenomena are taking place. And this particular article goes on with sections including earth, water, fire, air, and denial and reality. But because this is from 2018, I'm going to move to some more recent articles. This piece is written by Colleen Slevin and Deepa Barath, and this is published at seattletimes.com. Wynne Bruce, a 50-year-old climate activist and Buddhist, set himself on fire in front of the U.S. Supreme Court last week, prompting a national conversation about his motivation and whether he may have been inspired by Buddhist monks who self-immolated in the past to protest government atrocities. Bruce, a photographer from Boulder, Colorado, walked up to the plaza of the Supreme Court around 6.30 p.m. Friday on Earth Day, then sat down and set himself ablaze, a law enforcement official said. Supreme Court police officers responded immediately, but were unable to extinguish the blaze in time to save him. Investigators who spoke to the Associate Press on condition of anonymity said they did not immediately locate a manifesto or note at the scene and that officials were still working to determine a motive. 
On Saturday, Kriti Kanko, a Zen Buddhist priest who described herself as Bruce's friend, shared an emotional post on her public Twitter account, saying his self-immolation was, quote, not suicide, but, quote, a deeply fearless act of compassion to bring attention to climate crisis. She added that Bruce had been planning the act for at least a year. She wrote, When Bruce, I am so moved. She got sympathetic responses as well as backlash. Kanko and other members of the Rocky Mountain Ecodharma Retreat Center in Boulder released a statement Monday saying, quote, None of the Buddhist teachers in the Boulder area knew about Bruce's plans to self-immolate on this Earth Day and that had they known about his plan, they would have stopped him. Bruce was a frequent visitor to the Buddhist retreat center in the mountains near Boulder, where he meditated with a community, Kanko said. We've never talked about self-immolation, and we do not think self-immolation is a climate action, the statement said. Nevertheless, given the dire state of the planet and worsening climate crisis, we understand why someone might do that. On Facebook, Bruce wrote about following the spiritual tradition of Shambhala, which combines Tibetan Buddhism with the principles of living an uplifted life fully engaged with the world, according to the Boulder Shambhala Center. Bruce also posted praise for Vietnamese monk Thich Nhat Hanh, a leader of engaged Buddhism, around the time of his death in January. Bruce's act of sitting down and setting himself on fire was reminiscent of the events of June 11, 1963, when Thich Quang Duc, a Vietnamese monk seated cross-legged, burned himself to death at the busy Saigon intersection. He was protesting the persecution of Buddhists by the South Vietnamese government, led by Ngo Dinh Diem, a staunch Catholic. In a letter to the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., whom Han counted as a friend, Han wrote that he drew inspiration from the Vietnamese monk's self-sacrifice, saying, quote, To burn oneself by fire is to prove what one is saying is of the utmost importance. There is nothing more painful than burning oneself. To say something while experiencing this kind of pain is to say it with utmost courage, frankness, determination, and sincerity. In Tibet, anti-Chinese activists have employed self-immolation as a form of protest. The International Campaign for Tibet says 131 men and 28 women, monks, nuns, and laypeople among them, have self-immolated since 2009 to protest against Beijing's strict controls over the region and their religion. Buddhism as a religion does not unilaterally condone the act of self-immolation or taking one's life, said Robert Barnett a London-based researcher of modern Tibetan history and politics. Quote, Killing yourself is considered damaging in Buddhism because life is precious, he said. But if a person self-immolates because of a higher motivation, and it's not out of a negative emotion such as depression or sadness, then the Buddhist position becomes far more complex. If self-immolation is done to help the world, it might be accepted as a positive action, Barnett said. He cited a story from the Jataka Tales, a body of South Asian literature concerning the prior incarnations of the Buddha in human and animal form. In that particular tale, an incarnation of the Buddha 
in an act of selfless compassion, offers himself to an emaciated tigress who was so hungry that she was ready to devour her own cubs. Quote, but that kind of self-sacrifice is not encouraged, developed, or talked about for normal people other than the Buddha, he said, adding that this is because of the immense difficulty of cultivating positive motivation in any situation, let alone maintaining it under stress or in conditions of extreme pain. Buddhism emphasizes emotional balance, inclusiveness, kindness, compassion, and wisdom, said Roshi Joan Halifax, an environmental activist and abbot of the Opaya Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. What we're seeing today among many people is hopelessness, she said. What we are called to do is not to be disabled by that sense of futility, but to transform our moral suffering into wise hope and courageous action. Despite the pessimism that some climate activists may feel, there is really reason to remain hopeful, Halifax said. You see that people are waking up to the magnitude of the climate catastrophe, she said, noting that countries and corporations are moving away from damaging practices and toward clean energy. I feel inspired and hopeful by our ability to change and adapt in this ever-changing world, she said. My heart is heavy that Bruce did not have that kind of optimism. Those who knew Bruce saw a man who was kind, playful, and idealistic, an avid dancer who participated in weekly events. He was also known for biking and embracing public transportation. Bruce, who enjoyed the outdoors, brought an intensity to whatever he did, said his friend Jeffrey Buechler. On Buechler's wedding day in 2014, Bruce, on a whim, decided to go for a dip in a cold mountain lake early in the morning, he said. Bruce also suffered lasting effects from brain injury he sustained in a car wreck that killed his best friend about 30 years ago, Buchler said. Marco de Gattano, who met Bruce in the 1990s when they both attended a universalist church in Denver, said, quote, Wind seemed to have an affinity for people who needed help. He recalled Bruce being kind to a church member with a mental illness when others distanced themselves. Gitano said he last saw Bruce about a month ago, and he seemed outgoing and friendly as always. Every time he saw Bruce, quote, he had a smile on his face. Next up is a piece published at religionnews.com, and this is written by Ira Rifkin. Back in 1965, the renowned Vietnamese Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh wrote a letter to the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. in which the anti-war activists sought to explain to the civil rights icon why monks were self-immolating in protest of the Vietnam War and discrimination against Buddhists by the Roman Catholic-led Saigon government. His aim was to convince King to publicly oppose U.S. military efforts in Vietnam, which King eventually did. Thich Nhat Hanh, who died in January at 95, sought in his letter to explain to King why the acts of self-immolation differed from ordinary suicide. Quote, the self-burning of Vietnamese Buddhist monks is somehow difficult for the Western Christian conscious, conscience to understand, he wrote to King. The press spoke then of suicide, but in the essence it is not. It is not even a protest, Nhat Hanh wrote, pointing to the letters the monks left behind which called attention to the plight of the Vietnamese and were, he insisted, aimed only at alarming at moving the hearts 
of the oppressors. Contrast that with a statement issued by the Rocky Mountain Eco-Dharma Retreat Center after Wynn Allen Bruce, a 50-year-old Buddhist from Boulder who frequently attended meditation retreats and volunteered at the Colorado facility, died from setting himself on fire outside the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. Last Friday, April 22, Earth Day. Bruce apparently left no explanation, but it's been widely concluded that he intended his act as a protest against global governments not doing more to counter climate change. Kriti Kanko, who said she was his friend and also is on the Rocky Mountain Leadership Committee, said Bruce had planned his self-immolation for at least a year. Kanko told the New York Times she feared that copycats might follow suit. Quote, what I do not want to happen is that young people start thinking about self-immolation, she said. The Washington Post reported that according to his father, Bruce had tried to self-immolate in front of the World Trade Center in New York in 2017, but was stopped. Buddhism does not categorically reject suicide, though its approval is very limited. Quote, Buddhism in its various forms affirms that while suicide as self-sacrifice may be appropriate for the person who is an arhat, one who has attained enlightenment, it is still very much the exception to the rule, noted the Encyclopedia of World Religions. Elsewhere, Andrew Holosek, a Buddhist author and seminar leader also from the Boulder area, wrote, quote, Most Buddhist traditions also remind us that suffering is the nature of life, and that until we learn how to relate to it properly, thereby transforming it, we'll never get out of samsara, even if we take our own lives. Buddhism maintains that pain is an unavoidable companion in life, but suffering doesn't need to be. Suffering is an inappropriate relationship to pain, and the path is largely about learning how to relate to pain properly, and therefore end our suffering. Samsara is the Buddhist term for what the tradition teaches is humanity's endless cycle of death and rebirth. Buddhism teaches that nirvana or liberation from samsara is the end goal of spiritual practice. Matthew Ricard, a French-born Tibetan Buddhist monk and close aide of the Dalai Lama, added, quote, By saying to yourself, what's the point in living, you deprive yourself of the inner transformation that would have been possible. To overcome an obstacle is to transform it into an aid to your progress. Suicide solves nothing at all. It only shifts the problem to another state of consciousness. Bruce is not the first person to choose this form of protest in response to the climate crisis. Gay rights lawyer and environmental activist David Buckle died after setting himself on fire in New York in April 2018. If Bruce's intention was to somehow spark a mass reaction against climate change, he may have been encouraged by the Saigon monks Thich Nhat Hanh wrote about in his letter to King. The monks, after all, did succeed in focusing global attention on their government's corruption and ineffectiveness. Or perhaps he was motivated by the 2010 self-immolation of a Tunisian fruit and vegetable seller in protest of the government confiscating his weight scales. His action sparked the Arab Spring protests. EcoWatch, a leading environmental news website, noted that Bruce's Facebook posts were replete with warnings about the dangers of climate change. Bruce's Facebook writings provided evidence of his concern over climate change, 
He may have also revealed that he planned to self-immolate. In October 2021, he posted a fire emoji. On April 2 of this year, he edited that post, adding the date 4-22-22, Earth Day. EcoWatch labeled this an apparent announcement of his plans. EcoWatch also tagged its story on Bruce's death with information on contacting suicide prevention hotlines. You can do a lot more to fight and oppose and slow and change all of the oppressive things that are happening in our society as a living, breathing, fighting, struggling human being, as opposed to a symbol or a warning. You are more important to our struggle alive and engaged than dead. If you are having suicidal thoughts or you know someone who is, help is available in the U.S. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You can also text with an emotional support counselor with a crisis text line by texting HOME to 741741. And as some of these stories pointed out, there have been many people throughout history, including some fairly recently, who have self-immolated for various reasons. One of those really impacted me quite significantly. It happened during the first U.S.-Iraq war, and his name was Gregory Levy. This story talks about Gregory Levy. This piece is by Usama Husseini and is published at husseini.posthaven.com. 20 years ago today, immolation revolutions now and the ones to come. Quote, Let a man in a garret but burn with enough intensity and he will set fire to the world. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, best known as the author of The Little Prince. Perhaps it was just a coincidence that he used newspapers to do it, but I don't think so. From what I know of Greg, he had a sense of symbolism. I don't know a thing about the other two Americans from that year. I do know some about Mohammed much of the world does. That's because when he set himself ablaze, his town, nation, and people followed. But Greg was not so lucky. 20 years ago today, as the U.S. bombing of Iraq in the Gulf War entered its fifth week, a few minutes before two, Gregory Levy walked to the Amherst, Massachusetts town common with newspapers stuffed under his clothing. He doused himself with paint thinner. 
the first match went out. With the second, he lit himself a fire. You probably haven't heard of him. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry. In all the stories last month about self-immolations, none I could find mentioned him. Instead, they all focused on self-immolation cases from the Vietnam War. This was partly because the sociologist many turned to, Michael Biggs at Oxford, who wrote the paper, Dying Without Killing, Self-Immolations, 1963-2002, to emailed me that he didn't know about Levy. A New York Times article shortly after Levy's death refers to two others who killed themselves protesting the Gulf War 20 years ago. I've as yet been unable to find anything about them, not even their names. Levy had a placard with the word peace written on it and his driver's license attached. Jennifer Cannon recently wrote me, quote, I was one of the first people on the Amherst Common after Greg's self-immolation. I was a UMass undergraduate student at the time. A group of us formed anti-war students, local community members, Buddhist monks from the Leverett Peace Pagoda, and we held vigil 24 hours a day until the town forced us to leave about two weeks later. It was a profound and deeply moving experience. Everyone involved with the vigil knew that Greg chose to end his life in order to make a statement about how wrong the war was. Maintaining the vigil in liberal Amherst was not easy. We were harassed every day and night, often with trucks driving by with the American flag, honking their horns, and people yelling and swearing at us. We were seen as anti-war and therefore as unpatriotic and not supporting the troops. It is devastating that the war continues. It is an interesting phrase by Jennifer. Few public conversations consider that fundamentally it's all been one long war since 1990 that has manifested itself in different ways. The 20th quote anniversary of the Gulf War has gone virtually unmentioned I think in large part because to acknowledge it in a meaningful way, the U.S. would have to stop pretending that it was just minding its own business when the 9-11 attacks happened. Two memorial journals were filled during the vigil following Greg's death. One page read, quote, It's raining now, the day after your courageous, determined, peace-filled death. It snowed last night, and now there's a circle of stars surrounding snow, flows of every color. It's beautiful. We continue to live in hope that your action and our actions will stop this war, this madness, the killings, and that as we approach the third millennium, we will truly live in peace. Wherever you are, you will be in my heart forever. Peace and love to you. Whoever wrote that was trying to give Levy's being life. In contrast, on February 4, White House spokesperson Robert Gibbs said, quote, And as we recall, a fruit vendor in Tunisia had his fruit stolen and lit himself on fire. Gibbs kills. He kills because he tries to deceive about death, about someone's sacrifice for others. Gibbs doesn't want people to know that Mohamed Bouaziz, whose self-immolation sparked the uprising in Tunisia, 
was slapped around not by robbers, but by Tunisian government forces. He doesn't want people to know that Bouazi set himself on fire in front of the municipal building in his town of Sidibouzid, literally taking his grievance to the government's doorstep. The columnist James Carroll recently wrote, quote, But for all the desperation that might motivate self-immolation, born perhaps of nobility but also perhaps of crushing mental illness, it is urgently important to decry such violence. That it is inflicted against the self makes it different from assault against others, but it is still violence. All cults of martyrdom are inhumane, including self-martyrdom. In the face of death, in all its forms, choose life. This is directly contradictory to the view of the Jesuit priest Daniel Berrigan. Quote, I think in Christianity that something very great has been lost. Jesus' death, I think, in a very deep sense, can be called a self-immolation. I mean that he went consciously to death, choosing that death for the sake of others, reasonably and thoughtfully. Berrigan argues that people who burned themselves protesting the Vietnam War should not be said to have committed suicide, since, quote, suicide proceeds from despair and from the loss of hope. And I felt that Roger Laporte, a Catholic worker self-immolator, did not die in that spirit. Thich Nhat Hanh, a Buddhist monk, says of self-immolation, I think we must try to understand those who have sacrificed themselves. We do not intend to say that self-immolation is good or that it is bad. When you say something is good, you say that you should do that. But nobody can urge another to do such a thing. It is done to wake us up. He relates the story of a young Vietnamese woman, Nat Chi Mai, who immolated herself and was so joyous the month before that people thought she was planning on getting married. He also argues that others are burning themselves, but quoting another monk, quote, in a slower way, I am burning myself with austerity, with active resistance against the war. In some ways, self-immolation is an attempt at a life of service all at once. We are all oxidizing slowly. They choose it all at once. At least two other people in the U.S. have immolated themselves since the Gulf War. In 1996, Kathy Change immolated herself in Philadelphia, craving some attention for her desire to remake society. She wrote, quote, I want to protest the present government and economic system and the cynicism and passivity of the people as emphatically as I can. But primarily, I want to get publicity in order to draw attention to my proposal for immediate social transformation. To do this, I plan to end my own life. The attention of the media is only caught by acts of violence. My moral principles prevent me from doing harm to anyone else or their property, so I must perform this act of violence against myself. In November 2006, Malachi Richer immolated himself in Chicago. Quote, Maybe some will be scared enough to wake from their walking dream state, he wrote. When I hear about our young men and women who are sent off to war in the name of God and country, and who give up their lives for no rational cause at all, my heart is crushed. 
Half the population is taking medication because they cannot face the daily stress of living in the richest nation in the world. The violent turmoil initiated by the United States military invasion of Iraq will beget future centuries of slaughter if the human race lasts that long. Wouldn't it be better to stand for something or make a statement rather than a fiery collision with some drunk driver? Are not smokers choosing death by lung cancer? Where is the dignity there? I recall being appalled by the lack of media coverage of Richard's death. Even programs like Democracy Now! wouldn't mention it. Aaron Glantz reported late last year, quote, in the six years after Ruben Paul Santos returned to Daly City from a combat tour in Iraq, he battled depression with poetry, violent video games, and finally, psychiatric treatment. His struggle ended last October when he hung himself from a stairwell. He was 27. An analysis of official death certificates on file at the State Department of Public Health reveals that more than 1,000 California veterans under 35 died between 2005 and 2008. That figure is three times higher than the number of California service members who were killed in the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts over the same period. This didn't count the reckless deaths. Glantz found 10 times as many motorcycle deaths by veterans over non-veterans. Bouazizi wrote on his Facebook page before immolating himself, quote, Traveling, O oh mom, forgive me. No blame is beneficial. Lost in a path that is out of your hands. Forgive me if I disobeyed the word of my mother. Blame the time and not me. Leaving but not returning. For much I cried and tears streamed from my eyes. No blame can benefit in a time that is treacherous in the land of people. I am tired and all that past left my mind. Traveling and asking, what can make you forget? Mohamed Bouaziz, Greg Levy, and the others who immolated themselves recently in Egypt, Algeria, Saudi Arabia, Morocco, and Mauritania, whom we know little about so far, seem to represent neither the lonely despair of veteran suicide, nor the near-joyous embrace of the Vietnamese woman Mai. They represent a desire to leave an oppressive life, but to leave it in such a way that it might benefit others a refusal to live in permanent subjugation, a liberty through death, and a hope that by exiting that subjugation through death, a dignified life might be achieved for others who one loves. Shortly after Bouazizi's death, he lived for several weeks after his December 17 immolation. The Tunisian activist Faraz Mabruk said to Democracy Now!, the lesson from the Tunisian people is a lesson of dignity. I have a video two days ago, two days ago from the balcony of downtown Tunisia. People were shooting from the window. Dignity, dignity at two in the morning. A short time later, Egyptian activist Asma Mahfouz recorded a YouTube video calling for protests on January 25. It began, quote, four Egyptians have set themselves on fire thinking maybe we can have a revolution like Tunisia. 
maybe we can have freedom, justice, honor, and human dignity. Today one of these four has died, and I saw people commenting and saying, May God forgive him, he committed a sin and killed himself for nothing. People have some shame. A lengthy piece about Levy by Pippin Ross in Boston Magazine, June 1991, tells us, quote, Levy, Robert Levy says that his son was both outraged and amused by how the established press does little more than swallow the government line. I think American foreign policy is central to why he is dead, says Robert Levy. Both Greg's father, Robert, and his stepmother, the columnist Ellen Goodman, were in the newspaper business. The Boston Magazine piece gives a chronology of Levy's last days. It doesn't state it, but from the chronology one can extrapolate that Levy seems to have been stunned by the February 13 bombing of the Amaria shelter, which killed hundreds of Iraqi civilians. I recall being devastated by it, and by the incredibly callous media coverage of it. So, of course, Levy and the others were victims of media in death as well as in life. Life is burned and demeaned by ignoring what sacrifice someone has made and why. And life is honored by hearing those who immolate themselves, for no one knows what might rise from their ashes. That'll wrap up this episode of You Can't Be Neutral. Remember, you can check out all the back episodes of You Can't Be Neutral at youcan'tbeneutral.com. You can follow on Twitter at YCBNeutral. And you can listen to this and all my podcasts playing 24-7 at movingtrainradio.com. And now, a moment of zin. Thanks for listening. Bury my heart. Bury my heart in Amherst, where a young man came to meet death, while death was busy elsewhere on another mission. The wrath of empire, expressing itself in the only language it knows, a violent rage. Empty two gallons of thinner, one can to fuel death, as other fuels drive war, both cause and enabler, fossils used to kill and worth killing for. One can to entomb my heart in all its uselessness and bury it in the earth where the young man came to meet death. Light two matches, one for you as you burn, and one for me as I vacillate on the green where you stand. For one moment, death had to leave the battlefield several thousand miles away and meet you here, today, in this town. Death came and departed swiftly, more work to do in the desert. And media came and departed swiftly, more work to do for the empire. No time to stop, no time to think, no time to ask why, no time to say no, just a time to kill. <laughs>